0: Hello, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Dr. Judson Brewer. Dr. Brewer is a psychiatrist and internationally known thought leader in the field of habit change and addictions, combining nearly 20 years of experience with mindfulness training with his scientific research. He's the Director of Research at the Centre for Mindfulness and Associate Professor in Medicine and Psychiatry at UMass Medical School. Is adjunct faculty at Yale University and a research affiliate at MIT. He's been featured in Time, Forbes, BBC, Business Week, among many, many others, and his latest book, The Craving Craving Mind, From Cigarettes to Smartphones to Love, Why We Get Hooked and How We Can Break Bad Habits, explores how habits form, why they're so hard to overcome, and the research that gives us hope they can be changed. Judson, Judson, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Now... I I I like recently I've been I've been pretty into actually building a bit of context beforehand. So I just to kind of set the scene, like why addictions? Like for you, like what is it about studying habit change addictions that has resulted in, I guess, almost 20 years of study on this topic?
1: Uh this is something that is universal to all of us. And it's, I like challenges. You know, one of my PhD mentors used to say, go big or go home. And this is probably the biggest challenge that I see that faces all of us as a uh, species. I love that. I love that mantra, go big or go home. I think, yeah, I'm going to adopt
0: that one. <laughs> as, okay, so as an addiction psychiatrist, um, you've been obviously seeing patients for years. And obviously, it's great to be able to help people remove sort of the bad habits or the destructive habits. But in your experience, what kind of, Typically, what what lies under the surface? What are some of the most common root causes of addictions?
1: I would say the most common root cause itself is our how our brain's set up. So our brain was set up to learn, and it was probably set up to learn where food is. So if you think of the most basic habit loop, we see some food, we eat the food, and that registers to our brain calories, survival, right? Then we've set up this loop that helps us remember where that food was so that we can go back and find it again. So this is really a survival uh, setup for us, uh, This, if you think of it as an habit loop. And the survival setup was there to help us remember where food is and also to avoid danger. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. Because how, how would you say, I mean, I know a
0: percentage is a completely stupid question to do because it's. I'm, I'm sure it, it can't be broken down that simply. But like, okay, if, if your number one would be just the way our brain's made up how much of a part would say emotions things like self-love confidence like is that just a whole different field altogether or is there some like some overlap with these things
1: there's a lot of overlap so let's use the same you know the same habit loop that we're talking about What our brains can do is they, you know, when food is plentiful in everyday, you know, in modern day, at least in the Western world, you know, there's a McDonald's on every corner or, or a fast food restaurant, our brains say, you know, why don't we use this same process to make ourselves feel better? So if we're feeling stressed out. We eat a cupcake or some chocolate and we feel better and we adopt that same habit loop. So emotions are intimately at play here. We call, In modern psychology, we call this positive and negative reinforcement. So we positively reinforce things that have to do with positive emotions and we negatively reinforce as in we try to push away these negative emotions and we learn behaviors that do that so that that becomes a habit loop in itself as well. And then that, that's just – we're we this is operating almost like our software now
0: it's it's so ingrained in us we're not even we're not even consciously making this decision it's just like rinse and repeat rinse and repeat
1: right right if you want to think of it cynically you could think of humans as these binary associative learning machines you know approach avoid approach avoid <laughs> 1010 zero, one, zero.
0: <laughs> now i mentioned it in the uh, the intro but like this comes hand in hand and a lot of the um the focus and um on the work is around this idea of mindfulness, and mindfulness has become almost such a like, I guess, such a buzzword recently. Like we hear it being chucked around a lot. Just so everyone's on the same page, what
1: what do you mean by mindfulness? Well, there are some classic definitions, but I've actually moved started to move away from the word mindfulness because of exactly what you said. There, it can mean so many different things, and it's a concept. So, you know, a classic definition by John Kabat-Zinn is you know paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. What this really breaks down to pragmatically is this awareness that comes up and that positive and negative reinforcement where we're trying to hold on to pleasant and push away unpleasant. this is about awareness of all of that of that process and not being caught up in it okay,
0: and so it kind of ties into this idea of when you're saying like push away from the unpleasant it's like this idea of pain and suffering i i love the I saw the formula which you mentioned how you got taught a formula by a meditation teacher, and that is suffering equals pain times resistance. Yes, Young coined that one. Could you could you explain that to our to our audience what you mean by that?
1: I think it's brilliantly simple in the sense that um it's not that suddenly with meditation or awareness we can make unpleasant things go away, it's quite the opposite. We add our own suffering to pain, so that's where the equation comes in. Pain is there, you know. We can have uh, painful events happen. We can stick our hand on the stove and it hurts, but when we resist painful things, right? This is pain times resistance. Now we suffer. If we stop resisting, you know, if we stop getting caught up in stuff, resistance goes to zero and suffering, therefore, goes to zero as well. Suffering equals pain times resistance. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So talking about the, the,
0: uh, back to the habits, like when trying to break bad habits, you've recommend a two-step process. Step one, we've got to look at the habits and ask, what do I get from this? Mm-hmm. Why why do we ask that question? What
1: what's the impact of that question? Well, positive and negative reinforcement there, it's called reward-based learning. So that's learning that's based on rewards. <laughs> So our brains have become habituated to certain quote-unquote rewards, and if we don't look at those rewards closely, we just keep doing them habitually. And they may have served us in the past, but they may not be serving us now. They may actually be causing harm. So, for example, with smoking, uh, we train people to pay attention as they smoke, and so they can really see clearly what those rewards are. What do I get from this, as you said? Well – what they realize is that, and some people wake up, they're like, I've been smoking for 30 years and I never noticed this before. These cigarettes don't actually taste very good. <laughs> that's why they put menthol and they flavor cigarettes, you know, because tobacco is actually a, a toxin that plants make so that animals wouldn't eat them. And here we are cultivating it. Anyway, So, so this is all about seeing clearly what these rewards are so we can recalibrate our brains. So our brains can say, you know, that's not as rewarding as I thought. And that helps motivate behavior and change that's the first step okay so step two rain what, what, what's that yeah so once we're we become start to become disenchanted with these behavior uh, these behaviors rain is an acronym that we use and we actually have science uh, behind it showing that it decouples craving and behavior um, it's basically recognize. so if we're an autopilot you know we're just going about acting habitually we're not going to change any behavior so first step is recognize you know what what it is, whether whether it's a craving or anxiety or an urge to eat a cupcake. The second thing is to accept or allow. So in order to work with our cravings, we can't say, "Hey, craving, you stay over there and I'll be over here and we'll be cool," right? No, you have to get you have to get up and close with it. So we allow it to be there and see if we're resisting it. Uh, if we're resisting, see if we can let go of that resistance and start to get closer to it. Like, what is this like? And that's what the I is: investigate. So we get curious. Oh, what does this craving feel like in my experience right now? Oh, it's tightness. It's tension. My shoulders are clenching. There's a contraction. And then we can note from moment to moment, that's the N. what these sensations are. And when we note it, we realize a couple of things. One is these are just sensations that are driving us to do all sorts of things. They don't last forever. And as we note them, we can kind of ride that wave rather than getting sucked into it. You know, somebody on our, we have this eating program called Eat Right Now. And on our online forum, somebody just commented on writing out her first craving, you know, for eating. And it was awesome. She said, you know, she said, she gave this whole scenario where she walked into the kitchen and then she got like a stopwatch or a timer, sat down at the kitchen table and just started noting what her experience was like. And she said, eight minutes and 13 seconds later, the craving was gone. <laughs> and so she, she, Took this whole curious investigative attitude to say, well, what's this craving actually like? How long is it going to last? And she said, eight eight minutes might sound like a long time, but in the realm of my life, to realize that I can have a craving, have it come and go, and not get sucked into it, is huge. Is huge.
0: So would we? Would we? Because if, if it – I mean if we can break it down and it's simple and we just follow these steps, but then if we were doing that. Many many times a day. I mean, it seems like a lot of work. Is that just until we can just get over the the main hump till we can just break the habit? And then, like, how would, that, would we have to be doing that every single time? Or like, or can that then become the new habit, like of choosing healthy? Or or how much how much work is involved? Because I know that I think naturally we 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 always. I think we're naturally quite lazy aren't we? We 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 always we naturally look for the easy option. Like is this like oh my god I've got to like I've got to plan every single time I want
1: to not do something or is that just until we break the back on it? So the key here is with that two-step process. It's not about, I just have to force myself to ride this out. And this is cognitively what our brains turn to. They're like, okay, if I just do this RAIN exercise, then I'll be able to nail it. And that's a big problem, actually. So we, we use this gear analogy where the first gear is recognizing our habit loops. The second gear is the what do I get from this? And then only when we see clearly what we get from this do we start using the RAIN acronym to write it out because it helps it happen effortlessly, right? Curiosity itself is not something that takes a lot of grit or force or willpower. It's simply turning towards something and being like, oh, what's that like? What's that like? And that's effortless. When we're really, really curious about something, it's actually energizing, like, oh, wow, look what I just learned. And in that way, The disenchantment builds and builds. And also we stop feeding literally stop feeding the habit loop. As we stop doing the behavior, it doesn't come as strongly or as much in the future. I was
0: actually, I'm glad you mentioned curiosity again because I was actually gonna I was gonna ask even more about that one because naturally like the default is yeah, like pain to push away away from it. Just let's get away from this pain, whatever it is, let's, you know, this unpleasant experience, let's move it away. And that curiosity is it's counterintuitive because there's a painful situation and in fact let's let's go in let's 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 look at it let's get the magnifying glass out and take a closer look and that's that's an interesting sort of it is counterintuitive but by having that curiosity then yeah i mean like you said it kind of why why, just why is that curiosity i mean you've mentioned it but why is that so powerful
1: well, if this is such an evolutionarily conserved process, I would argue, why don't we see if we can hack that process itself? If we can tap into reward-based learning, we don't have to bring any external tools in, and we know that it'll work because this is one of the oldest pro- learning processes known to man. So if the trigger, say, let's say the trigger is stress, we eat a cupcake to feel better, and we feel a little bit better you know, because we get the dopamine rush or whatever in our brain, that is an externally driven reward, right? We have to eat something outside of ourselves to feel a little bit better. And in fact, that actually literally feeds the process because then we become dependent on eating cupcakes to feel better. What if instead we hack the process? If stress is the trigger, the behavior is to get curious and we turn toward it like you're talking about, what's it, what's it feel like when we're curious? It actually feels good. So that becomes its own intrinsic reward limitless limitless and it's our own we just tap into the same into the the system itself we're not doing anything extra
0: i like it because it's yeah it's like hey like this is how we operate this is the software rather than putting this massive resistance up and just trying to go against what feels natural let's
1: use the rules of the game and then just yeah it's 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 clever i love it it doesn't get much better than that, especially because we can't trust our prefrontal cortex, the part that says the willpower part of our brain. That's the first part of our brain that goes offline when we get stressed. So we can't trust it.
0: Do any of these ideas um, and these studies and this research, do, do th- does this, This, yeah, this new data that's coming in, does this sort of, I don't know, fly in the face of traditionally our understanding of habits and addictions or does it complement the existing narrative?
1: It complements the basic research. So the research, if you Think about it. You know, uh, there was a guy uh, Ed Thorndike who wrote a paper back in the 1800s on animal behavior. B.F. Skinner became famous for the Skinner box and operant conditioning and positive nev- negative reinforcement back in the 1950s. Eric Kandel got the Nobel Prize, showing this that, that this is evolutionarily conserved all the way back to the sea slug with only 20,000 neurons. So this is lock and step with the with the un- the basic research understanding. Where it's somewhat different is uh, the approach approach for fixing the problem. So hacking the system itself, I have not seen others do that. There's been a big focus on cognitive, you know, like willpower based things, you know, calorie counting, uh, track your steps, you know, the self-monitoring but in the sense that, you know, I have to meet some goal based on an external reward. So I haven't seen anything besides mindfulness training that actually taps into the intrinsic rewarding properties itself. Mm
0: no no I've, yeah exactly it's just it's just fascinating because it's yeah like this cigarette let's really focus in on like breathing it in what does it taste like how does my lungs like let you like using that total focus and
1: in the moment to experience that that's yeah. it's a whole different angle and what so one of the most common things that people report when they breathe in the word is burning <laughs> well that doesn't sound very pleasant does it <laughs> oh i'm burning my lungs
0: (laughs) (laughs) what have been some surprising results or research over the last 20 years have there been occasions when you were doing a study or maybe you've read a study and you were expecting or pretty certain the study is going to show one thing and then actually the results came out and maybe it was the
1: opposite or it went down a whole different route there was one piece that that was pretty surprising so for, uh, with this behavioral conditioning stuff that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. our data have been rock sol- surprisingly solid. So, we've gotten five times the quit rates of gold standard treatment for smoking cessation. We get a 40% reduction in craving-related eating with our Eat Right Now program. So, we're seeing a lot of convergence with different behaviors, but same mechanism there. So that piece, and also, it's not our hypothesis. We we stole this from the Buddhist psychologist that proposed this 2,500 years ago. So, <laughs> so this is just kind of following up on on work that was done before paper was invented.
0: <laughs> that, that's what that's what I love about so many of these interviews. We're seeing so much things when there is like latest cutting edge science backing up what a lot of like ancient wisdom texts and traditions have been saying for years and years it's like okay the data's out guys we've got it oh shit it's been said for 2000 years
1: (laughs) it's been said right and i'm happy not to like i don't need to have something attached to my name i just want to find stuff that helps people but one of the one of the uh, really striking findings for us was when we were doing neuroimaging studies of experienced versus novice meditators. And we brought them in and we were looking at a bunch of different meditation practices. And we were looking for that brain region that got activated when you're meditating, like, okay, now I'm activated. Now I'm meditating. And we found not a single... Uh, statistically significant result where we found where there was increased brain activity in experience versus novice meditators. So we we're like, what's going on here? But in fact, when we opened up our somewhat narrow view and said, well, let's just look at the whole brain and let's look to see if there's increased or decreased activity, th- this whole big thing opened up for us where we found that there's a network of brain regions called the default mode network that was actually quieter or decreased in activity in experienced meditators. And it turns out that that network gets activated when we are ruminating, when we're thinking about past and future, when we're craving, when we're uh, anxious. So all of these things activate this self referential network like, oh, I'm craving, oh, I'm getting, you know, getting caught up in my experience and with meditation that network quiets down so it actually makes a lot of sense it's just not something you know and meditation turns out it's not about doing it's about being with whatever's happening instead of trying to do something about it so when we looked back at it it actually made a lot of sense i had just you know kind of naively thought there was going to be something that was going to be this doing because that's what i'd been trained to do right it's like oh that's how i got through college you know just just hammer hard at the studying just do just do it as the nike commercial says right well the 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 mindfulness commercial would say well just be it perhaps or just be something like that it's interesting that's so, so what what would be
0: the i'm trying to, i'm trying to get my head around that so is in what would be the the implications how would that show itself so it
1: I'll, I'll use an analogy. Yeah, Let's please. See if this <laughs> I need to paint a picture in my head. <laughs> so if we're driving a car, okay, and we drive the car with one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas, okay, we're not going to get very good gas mileage, right? And we're going to wear out our brakes pretty quickly. And that wearing out our brakes, think of that as chronic, chronic stress, where we're constantly stressed out. Now, what if you take your foot off the brake? You're not adding any more fuel, but you're more efficient and your brakes are going to last a lot longer. Well, that's what this is about. When this default mode network stops getting in the way, you know, like I'm going to do this, I'm going to do – what if we just let it happen? Not only are we more efficient, but this is where we move into the territory. If you take that to its extreme, we move into flow, the territory that Csikszentmihalyi talked about in terms of effortless, selfless, timeless, joyful, you know, that type of thing. That sounds pretty good, eh? <laughs> you're, you're, what, you're, you're working and eight hours have passed and you
0: haven't eaten, you haven't gone to the loo and you're like, oh shit, where did the time go? yep and it's been immensely joyful and productive i love that and thank you for the analogy that really helped me i was like i was like yeah i got the picture i got the gears i've got it now what is what is the worst advice you hear or see being dispensed in your world your industry like is there anything where you hear and i don't know you're just like no
1: no that's not the case (laughs) just do it (laughs) (laughs) as in just force yourself to overcome your habit or your addiction or whatever. And I'm thinking, no, that's just, we've seen it time and time again. That's just not going to work. Yeah. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? (laughs) One in which uh, we live, there's this connection between humans and we live in in harmony i mean and that sounds kind of hokey doesn't it but to me to see to have a, con- a connection not just like an internet connection <laughs> or a or a text-based connection but a true genuine you know non-boundaried connection with others in which we're helping um in which i'm helping all of us flourish that's that's fulfilled for me one um
0: what was i going to say uh yeah, this is actually one one more thing I wanted to ask about. something earlier, like in terms of like the habits and addictions, like you go to down, you look you look down the street, you're on public transport, you're in a restaurant, and you can now guarantee that a large percentage of people are going to have their face in their <laughs> phone, you know, head buried. Yeah. yeah. What <laughs> from the point of view of an addiction psychologist, like what what do you make of that? now where where I mean is is this huge alarm bells? I mean, should we be worried about the future because if we are like what what do you make of that whole thing?
1: Yes, uh we should all be very concerned about this the We're starting to see more and more data come out showing how addictive this uh technology is, and if you think of this it's like a perfect storm, so we have instant access to distraction, right, so these are tools of mass distraction if you know, I think that's been coined before where we can anytime we're distraught or we're bored we can just pick up our phone and distract ourselves. So you pair that with things like social media where we can get ourselves out there and have the instant hit of somebody like a post that we just made which it also fires off dopamine in our brain. Pair this together with gossip where we can, you know, we can look to see what others are doing and we can compare ourselves to others. So all of this becomes immensely sticky. It's like this perfect, you know, perfect storm where this uh, uh, technology addiction is just growing and growing and growing in the world, and you know we've already seen, you know, texting while driving is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than drinking and driving. And so people are already addicted um, to their phones to the point where we're seeing, you know, text texting ac- based accidents in cars. Pedestrians are, you know, pedestrian accidents are on the rise. There was even a, a study that showed that. Uh, uh, What was it? Pediatric emergency room visits uh, were increased proportionally as the iPhone was rolled out across different cities in the in the United States because parents aren't paying attention to their kids as much. Uh, So I think this is something that's really it's not that we should throw technology away because that's not going to happen. Uh, but you know, it's like you know, drink responsibly, and this is about using technology responsibly. Yet the, the big challenge here is it's socially acceptable to have technology. So the key for this is also going to be seeing really clearly what do I get from this so that we can start to learn, oh, you know, when I'm constantly checking my news feed all the time, I'm actually less happy than when I only check it once a day or twice a day or whatever I need to do. Yeah,
0: because that's what well, that's what I was gonna um, say about. Because, say for example, whatever, overeating or smoking, there might be a conscious decision like, "Hey, I, I know this is a habit. I know this is an addiction, but I I want to change it." And so you can go through those two steps that you mentioned. It's like at least you at least you're at least you're meeting it halfway. You know, with yes. something like you know with the phones. Most of us, so look, many people, we, we don't even think it is a problem. Full stop. Or it, it's not necessarily like even on our on our I don't know decision making thing where we're like, oh, this is something I want to like cut out. So without that first like meeting halfway, without actually that interest of doing anything about it, how? Yeah, I mean, is is there anything you can do, or does there need to be that general conversation, that awareness, like, hey, this isn't actually adding value to my life anymore? Like you, we've got to organically come to that
1: realization ourselves. It all starts with awareness. So, for example, there was a physician that I'm that's in our residency training program who has two young kids, and she had used our Eat Right Now program and our Craving Equip program to help uh, actually with her skin pick. You know, she used to pick her skin, and now her fingers are pristine. But she was sitting there. She she woke up one evening. Her two kids were eating dinner at the table, and she was away from the table, staring at her newsfeed. And she woke up, and she's like, "Oh, I can't believe I am not." Connecting with my family while well, I'm just, you know, freaked out about the news. So it starts with awareness. It all starts with awareness. And sometimes others can point it out to us. Sometimes we're not ready to hear that <laughs> news, but more often when we can really organically wake up to how we're suffering, then that's going to be the turning point where we then start saying, "Oh wow, um, what can I do about this?"
0: Nice. Okay.
1: What is one thing our listeners can start doing today that
0: will have a positive
1: impact on their lives? start paying attention (laughs) and pay attention to what it's like when they text a friend versus have a genuine conversation with somebody face to face notice the difference right it's a skinner box which feels better which is more connected (laughs) last but not least how can people find out more about you and your work where can we send them uh the so i have a uh, a website judsonbrewer.com our apps are go eat and craving to quit and and you mentioned my book the craving mind so those might be good ways and uh to find more about the work that we do and also the research that i do at, at the center for mindfulness judson thank you so much for
0: illuminating me on a lot of these topics absolutely fascinating <laughs> and um yeah i really appreciate you taking time out in your day to come speak to me so thank you Well, thank you, it's been a lot of fun.